G'day and welcome to The Motor Show. I'm Toby Hagan. And I'm Bruce Newton. This week we've got a heap of catching up to do, starting with some big power and extreme performance. We're also getting behind the wheel of some impressive newcomers. And it all kicks off with the news. So, Toby, first up, um, some good news from Holden. Some rare good news, you could say, these days. The uh, Chevrolet Corvette yeah. is going to come to Australia. Right-hand drive, factory conversion, the whole shooting match. Yeah, that's right. It's the first time a right-hand drive Corvette's ever come off the production line. Huge news for uh, Holden, not in terms of sales, but in terms of, I guess, having something that, um, that really lives up to the performance um, mantra that they've built the brand on. Um, massive one, massive changes for the Corvette too, obviously going from front-engine rear drive to mid-engine rear-wheel drive. Pretty uh, similar elsewhere, 6.2-litre V8, 369 kilowatts of power. Uh, but look, in terms of the, the look and stuff, Bruce, this thing looks pretty special, I reckon. It's got that sort of Ferrari sort of stance to it in a way, obviously with some really clear Corvette cues to it. Uh, and in America, they're saying it's going to cost less than $60,000. Um, I guess once you convert that to our dollars, you add our GST, our luxury car tax, it's going to be well into six figures. And the number that's sort of been bandied around is around about that 150 grand mark. But when you start looking at the performance of it, 369 kilowatts, mid-engine, um, obviously fairly lightweight. Um, geez, that's pretty impressive numbers for the money. Yeah, it's not bad. I think the, the big deal about this, Toby, and I sort of alluded to it a minute ago, it's something good for Holden to talk about. They've just been hammered with so many negatives over the last few years, so many things going on that have been damaging to the brand that for GM in North America to go, right, we're going to do this project. And and basically now there aren't that many right-hand drive markets left in the GM world for them to say, yep, we're going to deliver this car and we're going to make sure Holden gets it as well, X-Factory. When you look at what, um, that you know that the Camaro comes to Australia only because HSV converts it locally. It is terrific stuff, and hopefully there's been these references at Holden to more promising good news over the next 18 months. I don't know. I mean, are we potentially looking at something like Cadillac coming to Australia or or uh, something else from the General Motors locker? Yeah, well, I think you're right. Cadillac is on the radar, or well, certainly on the radar, and I would have thought we get an announcement on that sometime in the next couple of years. Uh, I agree that this is good news for Holden. I think one of the real areas where it's great news for them is we've all been wondering, you know, are they actually getting back up here from the factory? Is, is, does General Motors even care about what's happening in Australia? Clearly, they are getting some sort of support. And to have a car this significant and this, I guess, massive in America to suddenly get some some love in markets like Australia and obviously parts of Europe, the UK and Japan will take it as well. But uh, to get that sort of love on a car like that, I think it's amazing. And it uh, does send a pretty strong message, not only to, I guess, Holden fans, the public generally, but also to the dealers. And, and you know, you mentioned being bashed around the head and the dealers have copped it uh, just as hard as anyone, I think. Oh, absolutely. I mean, one thing about this car being mid-engine, it does make the right-hand drive conversion job that much, <clears throat> excuse me, that much less challenging, yeah. which is uh, which is one of the reasons it's coming. So, yeah, looking forward to that immensely. Yeah, indeed. Another car that I guess we're all <coughs> looking forward to, and it's, um, well, a very different end of the market, is Tesla Model 3. Uh, it goes on sale this week, and um, this is a car that obviously has run late. Um, it's had... Huge controversy around the world, but now on sale in Australia. Pricing starting at $66,000. How's it going to go, Bruce? 
Look, I find it, I think it'll go well uh, by electric vehicle standards in Australia. The most fascinating thing for me about this car is it's price competitive in that, uh, call it that premium sedan segment against the three series and the Mercedes-Benz C-Class. And it's not only price competitive, the range is quite reasonable if they can deliver somewhere near what they claim. So the base model at $66,000 is going to come with 460 kilometres range, which you know, compared to some EVs we've, we've, we've experienced in the past, Toby, where you spend more time recharging than you do driving them, that, if, that, if it can deliver that, and by all accounts it can or get close to that, then that's going to be a tempting proposition for people looking for something different to the premium sedan orthodoxy. You know, um, mm. you think of that, those, uh, those, those uh, affluent parts of Sydney and Melbourne where people are green, they are they're conscious of climate change and also they want to make a statement, potentially something different. Dad drives a Benz or a BMW. I want to have something different. I'll take the Tesla. So, yes. you know, I think it's a fascinating uh, vehicle on a lot of different levels. Yeah, great addition to the market. And I agree with you in terms of it might be something that people can say, hey, I want to get something different. I wonder whether Dad's still going to go out and buy the BM or the Merc, though, because uh, they've been doing it for so many years. They've got a bigger network. They understand more about the brands. I think in some ways you might see some really different people looking at these sorts of vehicles, uh, looking at a Tesla Model 3. And I don't know. I don't know how much cross-shopping there'll be between uh, something like a 3 Series and a Tesla Model 3. But... It'll certainly be, uh, I think, the younger buyers in particular will really um, at least stick it on their radar and consider it. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. When you look at the range, it's $66,000 for the standard car. Then they've introduced a long range at eighty five, And then there's the performance version, which has got a 3.4 second north to 100 claim is 91200 Tesla is pretty hard to follow, though. With They, they seem to um, muck about with their range pretty frequently. That performance has already gone up $6,200. It's not even on sale yet. It was originally in the 80s somewhere, but they dropped this long range into the into the middle of the lineup just recently. So you've um, got to keep your eyes open and ears open when it comes to Tesla. They do uh, change things around a bit. Well, that's one of the concerns, I reckon, with this brand is you the consistency isn't there. And, you know, we've touched on it a fair bit in the past about the uh, the lack of ability to make profit. And that's still the case. The brand still struggles in that regard, which is sort of fairly important for a car company moving forward. They need to be making money. Um, <laughs> but just having that consistency there, look, all of a sudden you wake up and that model's not available or the price has gone up or it's dropped or something like that. And I think particularly in that luxury market, people get a bit scared by that stuff. Yeah, and the other side of it is that Tesla has this, and I'm not sure how pronounced it is here yet, but... You know, you listen to um, stuff emanating from the States and read stuff. There is a rusted-on, fanatical uh, support base for that brand. You criticise that brand publicly as a journo or something like that, and you cop heaps over there. The, the fan base is absolutely committed to the brand and, to, I guess, to Elon. Like, he's just... He's the modern-day Henry Ford in some ways. He's, he's created a brand and created a cult of personality around himself. Yeah, uh, for all the, you know, good and bad in that. But, hey, you can't say he hasn't done a hell of a job selling the brand. And absolutely. Himself. Well, and himself, absolutely. I think that's a massive part of it. But uh, anyway, now on to, um, well, remaining a little bit with electric, Bruce, and hybrid sales with Toyota have gone through a little bit of turmoil over the last month or so. Oh, yeah. So there was a stop, uh, sales stop on the uh, new Toyota RAV4 hybrid, concern over braking. Now, I, I think they've 
got to the nub of the problem now. But it is interesting with Toyota that it does it has had this issue because it's had a series of issues um, uh, with vehicle reliability, both recall and non-recall, which we've talked about previously. And this is the latest one in a in a few of them, Toby. Yeah, it is. I wonder how much of it's, um, uh, I guess, a very conservative company like Toyota doing a very conservative thing in terms of saying, well, we'll pull it off the market and try and sort out if we've got any problems. But, um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it does sound like they've got some sort of issue. The, the interesting thing, braking on on hybrids, I mean, uh, they're all rubbish in terms of the brake feel, <laughs> I reckon. None of them yeah, feel so any good. <laughs> no, you're right. Um, I noticed there is now a recall in place for... Um, it's only a couple of hundred cars, a little bit less, RAV4s and a few Lexus. Um, but that recall has now been made in the wake of the, the sale stop. And I think this, I think the cars are now back on sale. Mm, sounds cool. Now, another car that's, well, was on sale, struggling a bit now because it's pretty much sold out. Ferrari SF90 Stradale, Bruce. And I'm pretty sure you've got your order in, yeah? Uh, yeah, yeah, mate, that's it. So I'll just leave you to talk about this one. <laughs> so, uh, well, look, I think the figures tell an amazing story. You look at it, 736 kilowatts of power, which is a monstrous amount of power, the most powerful road-going Ferrari ever produced, more than the 812 Superfast, more than the La Ferrari, the hypercar that never got sold here, uh, and about 40% more power than the 488, which has effectively the same twin-turbo V8 engine in there, Obviously, the SF90 Stradale has got a little bit more power, but the thing that wicks it up is the electric motors. It's got three electric motors, one working on each of the front wheels and another one powering the rear wheels. It can actually drive purely on electricity, albeit for only 25 kilometres, and you can obviously recharge it from charging stations or at home, um, and a huge amount of grunt, two and a half seconds, north to 100, well over 300 kilometre an hour top speed, haven't announced the price yet, although it's apparently sold out. Um, and the price in Australia is expected to be well into seven figures, over a million dollars. So huge amounts of money and a, another top-end version for Ferrari. Yep. Okay, next. <laughs> next, Lotus Avia. How about that? Another hugely powerful all-electric <laughs> car. Effectively, the relaunch of Lotus. 1,500-odd kilowatts of power. Um, they're only building 130, I think it is, something like that. Not many of them. But, um, yeah, look, uh, a big... Big step up for Lotus if they can actually make it all work. And uh, it's been a company that's had its fair share of struggles over recent years. But look, well, other, other car companies have had struggles, Bruce. Um, hang on, before moment. you get off Lotus, mate, I think <laughs> I think there is one point about it is Lotus now at least is owned by um, uh, by Chile, by Lee Shifu. So there, there's some money actually behind it because we both remember the last time Lotus made uh, massive announcements. We were both at the Paris Motor Show a few years ago. Um, when they rolled out about 10 concepts at once and had a bunch of supermodels and professional footballers there hanging off each of the cars. And I do recall the bloke running the place was a guy by the name of Danny Baja, and you had the temerity <laughs> to walk up to him and ask him whether he was actually going to make it all happen. And what did he do, Tobes? He didn't like that. He walked away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then not a single one of them happened. That was brilliant. That's right. <laughs> Funny about that. Anyway, anyway, that, that was uh, just... Moving on, yes, car makers losing money. Well, that's it's certainly uh, Ford eighty six percent down. Nissan ninety nine percent down. JLR drops another seven hundred million. All announced in the last week or two. There seems to be um, uh, a bit of a theme here: slowing sales, factory shutdowns, Brexit, Brexit, increasing investment in electric vehicles, trying to get them off the ground. It's all, uh, there's some common themes emerging here, isn't there, Tobes? Oh, there are. And, but the amazing thing is, I mean, if you look at a 
highly profitable car company, one that's making a fair chunk of money, they might be making 10, possibly 15% return on investment. Like they're yes. not making big money. I mean, consider a tech company like Apple or Google or Facebook. If they had returns like that, they wouldn't even bother getting out of bed. It's just ridiculous. But the car yes. industry is so tight with that stuff. And the problem is it's got such, it's such a massive, it's so capital intensive in terms of what they've got to do to bring a car to market. Billions of dollars between the factory, between the development of the vehicle. When the car gets on sale, if it's no good, well, it's another five or six years until they can theoretically turn that around and, and, and bring out something that people actually like. So it's a huge disadvantage for them. And having that, as I said, the capital intensive, intensity of, of the whole investment thing is just massive. Um, and they don't make a whole lot of money out of it. And if things go south, then um, suddenly they're losing a lot. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of argument there in favour of just creating an iPhone app. There's no doubt about it. Um, so with Ford, the interesting thing is their earnings before interest and tax was only down 2% from the previous quarter, but they've had so much write-downs they've had to go through that it's just absolutely hammered them. Nissan's profit slump has resulted in them deciding they're going to sack 12,500 people. And JLR, it's, this is a washover from, their, uh, from the massive loss they had the quarter before where they'd already started shutting factories down. So there's that, that's sort of a wash over. The other one that's losing money is Tesla, but then they lose money all the time. So there's nothing really new there. Well, only, they did make a profit, I think a year ago, a quarterly profit. They've never made an annual profit. And, and indeed they've had three um, quarterly losses. The latest one what was a 400 odd US million dollars. Uh, and yeah, I mean, at least it's getting a little bit worse, a little bit, um, the, the the losses are getting smaller, but they are still massive losses. And, you know, we touched on it earlier. Tesla trying to make a profit is a huge challenge. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be interesting to see where the long-term future of that company lies, whether as an independent or whether someone like a, a Toyota who can see the benefit of, of uh, taking over the name and, and sorting out the manufacturing side of that company actually gets in there and gets involved. But anyway, speculation, something for the future. All right, mate. So one last thing, talking about manufacturing and all that sort of stuff and not making money. There is the the, the uh, push to um, get the Nissan Titan into Australia, the full-size Nissan truck, continues on. This in Australia boss, Stephen Lester, is really keen about this. And interestingly, they're having a lot of trouble getting the vehicle out of the factory in North America in right-hand drive. Of course, it's a left-hand drive factory, that's and that's where all the volume goes into North America. So now they're looking quite seriously at following the Walkinshaw and American Special Vehicles example and getting a local conversion job done. Uh, of course, the Walkinshaw people in, in Melbourne do the Silverado for right-hand drive. They do the Ram on behalf of American Special Vehicles in right-hand drive. And, of course, they also do the Camaro for HSV in right-hand drive. But this would be a different company. It's confidential who it is at the moment, apparently. If it gets off the ground, it'll be someone else doing it. Um, but, uh, yeah, Stephen Lester is talking quite uh, bullishly about trying to get this across the line. In addition to, quite interestingly, a local Navara development that is meant to rival the Raptor, or at least the Ford Ranger Raptor, or at least go some way down the track. Codenamed AT32, it's not that far away from being revealed. I think it's, it's going to happen this year for sure, but just how wild it is, I don't know, but that vehicle is under development now. So Nissan's trying, unable to get stuff out of the factory. Locally, it's going, well, if we can't do it factory, we'll do it ourselves, which is, I guess you're seeing, it's a last example. A number of people are going that way, and it's, and it's a quite a bold play. Oh, it is a bold claim. And, and look, 
getting the product right in that market is absolutely crucial. We're seeing, obviously, the Mercedes X-Class flop these days in terms of sales. Wow. Um, obviously, HSV has struggled trying to sell its Colorado, its um, sort of tweaked Colorado. Uh, the market just sort of, if they don't, don't particularly like it, they don't seem to fall in love with it that quickly. And, um, yeah, sales struggle as a result. So, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see how they go with this Nissan, if they can make it a fully-fledged, ranger raptor rival i mean that's the challenge is that car is just they've done such a good job on every single component of that suspension and um it really results in an awesome car so whether they can get it to that level i think's the the big challenge here yeah and interesting you mentioned a couple of vehicles here x classes now question marks over whether that goes to a second generation and also sports cat hsv's just had a crack with an update to that vehicle so Hopefully one of us will get in one of those soon and we'll be able to give people a, a bit of a review of it. Anyway, talking about reviewing cars, we're on to drives. We are. Time to get behind the wheel. And this week we've got a pretty diverse trio, starting <laughs> with an electric car, Bruce, Nissan Leaf. You've been, uh, well, you went to the launch and spent a bit of time behind the wheel. Yes, that's right. So the Nissan Leaf uh, was, uh, the original Nissan Leaf uh, first started getting hype and airplay back around 2010 when uh, then Nissan boss Carlos Ghosn really made some big projections for it. Turned up in Australia around 2012, priced at about uh, $51,500. Um, in those days, it was a 22-kilowatt-hour battery with about a 180-kilometre claimed range, but in reality, it was more like 130. The one they've launched now, roughly the same price, double the battery capacity claim, and roughly double the range, I guess, at least in theory. So you can see that there's progress being made in terms of performance and the amount of money it takes to deliver that performance. But i got to say, Tobes, it's still a lot of money. You've yes. still got the recharging issues and the range, in the, which is, they're claiming at 270 kilometres will probably turn out to be more like, you know, 200, 220. That to me, okay, I accept that it's a commuting car and all that sort of stuff. But when you, you, you just spend so much time thinking about when am I going to recharge it? Where am I going to recharge it? What have I got to recharge it with? Uh, I just, those headaches on top of the normal <laughs> thing just sort of, you know, put me off it a little bit, to be honest. But as a second car, if you had the SUV in the driveway and Absolutely. take that away on holidays, as a second car, it would work. But you do have to accept that you're paying sort of 15 grand minimum as a as a um, price premium to get into it. I mean, obviously, you, you save a bit of money on, um, on fuel. You save yeah. a bit of money on servicing, that sort of stuff. One of the most interesting bits of technology with this vehicle for me, and I'd be interested to know where it's at, is the potential for vehicle-to-grid capability. So the ability to plug the car in and either power your house or feed money back into the grid. Where's that at at the moment? Well, it's not anywhere. It's um, it's called bi- bi-directional charging. And this was one of the funny things about the launch. That, funny, I don't know um, if that's the right word. But Nissan spent a lot of time not talking about the vehicle itself, but talking about how it's a battery on wheels. You know, you can charge the grid, you don't pay petrol prices, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is bi-directional charging is at least 12 months away from, Mm. while the technology exists, it's at least 12 months away from coming on stream in Australia. And when it does come on stream, it's going to be expensive. And what effectively it means is when your car is in the garage, you you will be able to plug it in and, say, run your house or your office off, off the battery. If you want to get in the car and drive away, you just got you you revert to whatever other power source you have, your mains power, or or if you're on batteries with solar or something like that. You, but yeah, it it's a nice 
it's a nice headline, but as you dig into it, you know, the, the, the reality of it is that it's, well, it's a bit airy-fairy, to be honest. One of the comments that was made to me by a Nissan executive there was people spend too much, but when people are shopping for cars, they focus too much on the size of the car and what the car costs. And I thought, well, mm, <laughs> that's, that's a person struggling to justify their car's price and their car's size because effectively <laughs> the things double the price of a Toyota Corolla hybrid. Mm. So, yeah. look, nothing wrong with it, nothing great about it. It is just a long way away from mass acceptance still. And mm. I think the, the Model 3, while it's more expensive, has got more chance of cut through because it's going to appeal to a more affluent market with, and it's going, and it's lines directly up against potential opposition. So, look, mm. Leaf's okay. Um, much better than the first generation, but maybe check in in another six years, see what the next one's like. <laughs> Wait a while. Now, another car with um, aspirations of taking on the affluent, um, the affluent car makers, Genesis. Um, mm. Obviously, finally arrived. It's taken a while. It's been delay after delay <laughs> after delay. Finally, the brand's here, and the G70 is obviously the headline act here. The G80, the larger one, is effectively a uh, just a, a very mild makeover of the, what was previously known as the Hyundai Genesis. Yep. But um, obviously, Hyundai badge is all gone now. Purely Genesis um, with aspirations of taking on, you know, I guess doing what Lexus did back in 1990 and trying to create that um, luxury flavour. Look, I spent a bit of, bit of time behind the wheel in one, and... Um, Look, in terms of how it drives, a really impressive vehicle. A two-litre four-cylinder turbo engine, fair bit of kick, uh, but the 3.3-litre twin turbo is obviously the same engine that comes out of the Kia Stinger. That has a pile of grunt, and it's um, you know a very worthy contender for something like a Mercedes um, C43 AMG. It's certainly yep. got plenty of kick, um, rear-wheel drive, so it does, I guess it gets the basics right. They've got all the... Uh, all the basics there. That said, the, the engines are thirsty. Both the engines, both the four-cylinder and the V6, use a fair bit of fuel and more than their direct rivals. So it's uh, from that perspective, I guess you're, you're going backwards there. Fairly strong equipment list. It's got most of the basics, but nothing really stands out, Bruce. This is the thing that got me. I'm looking down the, the line saying, well, okay, it gets leather, it gets electric seats, it gets dual zone climate, all that sort of stuff. You sort of expect that once you're paying upwards of 60 grand, which is what this car costs. Um, it's another $13,000 to get into the entry-level 3.3-litre twin turbo. So you're looking at um, a bit over $70,000 for that. And it'll go all the way up to $80,000, um, obviously, plus on-road costs. So um, you can end up spending a fair bit of kit on it. Some of the things inside, um, you know, they've, they've tried pretty hard with the presentation of things like the leather, some, some interesting stitching and so on to make it stand out. But there's still some Hyundai hangovers in there. Things like the infotainment screen looks like it's straight out of a Hyundai. Some of the switch gear. And that's a little bit low low rent in that market. There's also some bits of plastic and so on where you might expect metal or some high-quality sure. materials. Yeah. Is it is it worth the extra over a Stinger? Sorry, I should background that saying the Stinger GT Kia and this car are on the same platform, basically. Yeah. Use the same drivetrains. Is it worth the extra over a Stinger? Certainly got a much better interior presentation and, and the way, <laughs> I guess, the flavour generally, yes, I would say dynamically, yes, it's a, a step up on the Kia, but not miles better. And if you just want the performance, the Kia is going to do a fair bit of it for you. Um, you know, one area of this car really, I guess, probably the only area I could see that it stands out against its luxury rivals is when you come to look at warranty and after-sales support. So it gets a five-year warranty. Pretty much every luxury mm -hmm. brand out there gets a three-year. Um, Lexus gets a four-year 
And then you look at um, servicing. They also include the first five services as part of that price. So you're effectively paying a bit more up front, but, um, but getting some of that extra gear in there and getting, I guess, some of the extra costs out of the way early. But um, really, I don't know, it didn't, it, it didn't strike me as a car that you'd say, wow, I have to get into one of those right now. And obviously, you can't ignore the badge. The badge is not where the other brands are. And there's some people, there are plenty of people who are going to want a BMW, a Mercedes, Benz, an Audi, whatever it might be with those badges on there. And uh, Genesis has got a lot of work to do. I think they, they understand that, but um, it's a long road ahead. Well, apart from anything else, isn't it hard to get into one because there's only one dealer? Yeah, there's only one dealer in Sydney, but that said, they're, they're working on these so-called studios um, in the capital cities, so obviously Melbourne uh, and, and other capital cities around the country, and they're saying that they're going to, if, if you want to test drive one, they'll actually bring it to you. So the whole idea is, um, instead of coming to the, to the studio or the dealership, you ring them and say, I'd like to test drive it, bring it out to me, and they'll come and do that. They do that with servicing and so on as well. Uh, which is all fine. I mean, that works well. But what about the bloke who says, I just wouldn't mind having a look at one, but I don't necessarily want to go through the hassle of booking in a test drive, having someone bring it out to me and, uh, and having to um, say, no, thanks. I was just, just hoping to kick the tires. Like it's, um, you know, there's, yeah, they're going to miss out on people for that for sure. But, um, but yeah, they've got some major challenges ahead. Yeah, I wonder what happens if the bloke from, I don't know, Alice Springs rings up and says, I want to drive one. That, that's a fair <laughs> old commute out on the prospect of, on the chance of, actually selling one yeah they did say within seven i think it's 70 kilometers of the studios so the bloke in alice springs might struggle <laughs> okay <laughs> all right so talk about struggling citroen has uh struggled in australia for um well um a long time uh they, <laughs> they are uh just uh having a bit of a relaunch at the moment i don't know how many this is we could go back through the years and count them up but <laughs> What they've done is they've launched a model called the C5 Aircross, which is fundamentally a slightly rebodied version of the Peugeot 3008 SUV, so a five-seat SUV. has a few variations, a bit of a trickery in the, bit of different trickery in the suspension and, and uh, some different interior touches. Uh, starts from about 40 grand for your 1.6-litre turbo petrol uh, front-wheel drive CX-5 rival. So, um, yeah, uh, I had a chance to drive it um, a couple of weeks ago uh, up in Sydney. And, uh, yeah, well, okay. Um, I'm trying to think of something really positive. Well, they, okay, they talk about the, the – obviously, the big emphasis with this car is on comfort, Bruce. And yeah. We keep reading all about these progressive hydraulic cushions that are the dampers or in, in the suspension system. Do they work? Uh, no. Good. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's probably being a bit harsh. Do they work? Well, it's not like riding in a race car or something, but you still do feel the bumps on the road. I, I think part of the thing was they really sold this aspect of the car hard. And I was sharing the car with another quite experienced journo. And we're driving along and we're looking at each other going, I felt that bump. Now, <laughs> we meant to feel that bump. Wasn't that meant, to, isn't this thing meant to cushion all that out? So it's, it's not quite to the level that, that, that they're selling it. Um, but it's a good, uh, what can I say? It, it's just a, it's another solid competitor in a, in an incredibly competitive class. But that's I, the point, isn't it? This class is so competitive. I mean, you've got Mazda CX-5s, Volkswagen Tiguans. You've got the whole gamut of cars out there that can yep. potentially compete at that 40-odd grand level. Um, and Citroen just has not been on people's radar, and it really needs something 
full-on, different, really special to get on the radar. From what you're telling me, it doesn't sound like this is it. Well, I don't know if it needs something full-on and special to get on the radar. I think what it needs is something that's competitive to get on the shopping list, and I think that's what the Aircross does. At least it puts them in the segment, mm. and that's a starting point. They haven't had anything in the segment, Apple. They've offered some weird and wacky things like the, the cactus, you know, mm. stuff that like people just aren't interested in. So when someone's going out and they draw up their long list of uh, of, of of mid-size SUVs and start doing their web research and all that sort of stuff, at least there's the potential for mm-hmm. the aircross to prop up on the list, at least at least to some extent. But it's going to have the same problems that uh, a lot of the small brands do. There's only a small dealer network. There's question marks over, you know, the backup. There's question marks over the reliability. Um, the one thing that they have done is they've got a, a, at least a suitable range. Now, there's automatic transmissions. There's standard autonomous emergency braking. These are the sort of things that the French couldn't deliver in the past, but at mm. least those things are starting to be addressed. Oh, they're not. It's interesting to talk to the executives of the company at the launch. They are not fooling themselves that this car launches them into mass market sales. They understand yeah. that they are at the start of a quite a long journey. They, they, you know, they, they're going to sell in the hundreds, yeah, not the thousands. Well, it sounds like they've got some sensibilities in there, which, as you say, in that market you sort of need. Um, but it does, I mean, look, from a, a quirkiness perspective, the suspension aside, the progressive hydraulic cushions aside, <laughs> you've got, um, you know, it certainly looks the business in terms of looking different. And that's probably half the battle in this market some people i think want something that at least looks a little bit different or a bit classy and there has been i guess a fair bit of generic in that market and to have something standing out visually is at least a a step in the right direction agreed agreed look we can only hope that this leads them on to bigger bolder and better things over time Hmm. all right absolutely well i reckon that's about it for this yeah. week, Bruce, so another episode of The Motor Show. Yeah. Hope everyone out there enjoyed it. If you did, hit us with five stars, and we'll be back next week to look at the latest in motoring. Yeah, we'll catch you next time. Hopefully, I won't be coughing and uh, snorting and carrying <laughs> on with my head cold. But, yeah, all the best to everyone, and see you soon, Tobes. Sounds good.